On the Sunday after Christmas, Holy, Holy Family Sunday, I mentioned how in my homily how the Bible begins with the story of the first married couple, our first parents, and how the closing pages of Scripture bring the same theme as well in describing the glories of heaven. John the Evangelist says, I also saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then in today's scriptures, the theme of marriage is taken up again. And even the prophet Isaiah in the second reading today uses the startling language. He talks of the nuptial love uh, of God for his people. As a young man marries a virgin, Isaiah says, your builder shall marry you, and as a bridegroom rejoices in your bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. So God's relationship with his people is as a bridegroom to a bride, as a husband to his wife. And so today we come to that familiar story about Jesus changing water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. And it's no mere coincidence that from all eternity God chose this moment, that time and place to reveal his glory with his first public miracle. Revealing himself in joy at the wedding of Cana, Jesus raises up marriage from an arrangement to a sacrament, from a contract to a covenant. And he promises to us every grace we need, the new wine of his presence, to bring us life and peace and joy. And so we read from the Gospel according to John. It's one of only two books in the Bible that start with the phrase, in the beginning. The other book is the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible which describes the creation of the world. In Genesis, we read of the seven days of creation, a creation that culminates in the creation of the first man and the first woman, the first married couple. In John's Gospel, if we read the verses just before our Gospel passage we had today, we'll see that this wedding feast comes at the end of a seven-day series of events, a new creation culminating in a wedding. So here today we have a new creation with Mary as the new Eve, with Jesus as the last Adam, who are present to us to bring us new hope and new life, in fact, eternal life. So what does this tell us? There's so many themes in this gospel. But when we put it all together, we can't help but see how important marriage is in the plan of God. Today, Mary noticed that the wine was running out. So what does Jesus do? He changes water into wine. Between 120 and 180 gallons of it. But of course they ran out. Jesus showed up with 12 guys who were fishermen. Of course they ran out of wine. But in this story, we see Jesus showing us how God's relationship to us would enter a new level of intimacy. The prophet Isaiah, in our first reading, was speaking hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, and he promises an event that would occur in the future. As a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. And Jesus fulfills that promise in today's scripture. He's no longer a God who is just far above us. No, he enters into our existence and becomes present to us in our most human and our most intimate needs. 
But even more, he demonstrates and prefigures the sacramental life of the church. Through his own created order, he reaches down and touches us, not as an unembodied spirit, but as one of us. We see in the wedding feast of Cana, he not only sanctifies marriage, but he shows us that he touches us through created things, in water and wine, in baptism and Eucharist. Our good God touches us in so many simple and tangible ways. He could have just left us a book of instructions so we could read about his love and figure out what to do. But no, he gave us the waters of cleansing and rebirth, the bread and wine of nourishment and communion, the healing oils, the forgiving, confirming, and ordaining laying on of hands, and as we see so vividly in today's reading, the joyous, passionate love of husband and wife. This sacrament of marriage in which the grace-filled love of husband and wife becomes a sign of God's love to one another, to their children, and to all they need, figures and images the love of Christ for his church. Pope Benedict, in his first encyclical, which he entitled God is Love, he speaks of this when he says that of all the meanings that we give to love, and I quote him, one in particular stands out, love between man and woman where body and soul are inseparably joined and human beings glimpse an apparently irresistible promise of happiness. This would seem, the Pope goes on, to be the very epitome of love. All other kinds of love immediately seem to fade in comparison. I'm struck by the fact that an aged celibate man, obviously in love with Christ and the Church, can say of marriage, All other kinds of love immediately seem to fade in comparison. St. Paul says that marriage images the relationship of Christ and his church for whom he laid down his life. This truth tells us that the church is not an organization like any other. In fact, it is not a merely human organization at all. The church is the bride of Christ. And as his bride, it is one with him and is his body. Paul, in the second reading today, speaks of how the Holy Spirit is one, but there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, different forms, he says, of service given to each individual for some benefit. Each of us is part of the body of Christ, his bride, the church. Each of us is gifted by the Holy Spirit for the benefit of the church the benefit of others. And here is Christ's body, we all fit in. No member of the body of Christ is left out of his plan for his bride. This may be most directly imaged in the married couple, but every member of the church shares in the same spirit and is gifted in different ways. Even the young, the unmarried, the widowed share in the nuptial love of Christ for his church. I read a uh, quote from a very wise woman who wrote just a couple of years ago, speaking of her disappointment in remaining unmarried. She wrote, no matter what shape or form my life takes, even if I never marry, as a Christian I'm called to an expenditure of love, a love that only flows from the open heart of Christ. The unmarried person has a spouse, for Christ is the bridegroom of the soul. And that nuptial love is lived out and demonstrated in many ways. 
I think of the single person who dedicates her life to caring for elderly parents, perhaps a widowed mother, and shows all the world the light of Christ and the love that pours forth from his open heart. I think of a childhood friend of mine whose career in the Boston Symphony Orchestra playing the clarinet would not have been possible without his Aunt Tess encouraging him and aiding him financially. I think of my favorite teacher in high school, Miss Houck, Isabella Houck. She was about this tall. She had wild gray hair. She looked like a dandelion out of control. She actually made me like Latin. And she was the only teacher I ever met whose former students regularly and frequently wrote to her from college. But she loved them all, and that was the difference. So all of us can look to the example of Jesus and Mary's concern for the young couple on their married day. So that whether it's a groom on his wedding day holding his bride or a mom holding her baby for the first time, or an elderly grandparent grasping our hands for the last time as they slip away, or any one of the ordinary, common moments of caring and concern. Remember, no burden is too heavy, no task too drear, that Jesus is not there with us to lift us up, to give us strength, to fill us with his lasting joy, his love, and his peace.